Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. This is God's words. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms, that's, you know, offerings, for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, in, uh, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gates of the temple, asking for alms. They were, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We'll carry on. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Solomon saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over, and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Nearly there. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. We're continuing in our series, as you can see from the slide behind me, Advancing the Gospel, and we're going through the book of Acts in the Old Testament, which is all, all about advancing the gospel. That's where the title comes from. Um, and today, we're going to see how the Word of God and the Spirit of God build the people of God. We see this time and time again throughout the book of Acts, but it's particularly clear here. How the Word of God and the Spirit of God build the people of God. Um, and what we're going to be looking at this morning is this... Uh, um, wonderful, amazing occasion. We've just seen and heard, re read to us uh, the healing of this man who was lame from birth. Uh, just to review, uh, take it back a step or two, we saw last week how this brand new community of God's people, am amazed at the gospel of Jesus and filled with his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, how they formed this community called the church, and they went at that time daily to the temple to pray. And um, that's where we find Peter and John, two of the, the leaders of the early church here in chapter 3, what we're just uh, reading and, and thinking about today. Um, they were on their way to pray and, uh, and to worship God, as we've read already, um, but they met this man on the way, who was there daily as well. This man was left, it says there, at the gate um, so that he could beg. That was the only source of income for him to survive, to get by, would be to beg. It says he was lame from birth, and so he looked up at Peter and John, 
um, expecting to get some, some money from them or some, some sort of uh, offering or what have you. And uh, Peter says, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he says, rise up and walk. And it goes on to say that immediately he got up, he was healed, and he was leaping and jumping and praising God. And all the people looking on, it says, were filled, in verse 10, were filled with wonder and amazement. Remember we saw last week one of the marks of a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission, the church, is, is awe-inspiring. And so when they saw this take place, they were inspired amazement and wonder. But what we're going to do first, rather than looking at the healing, we're going to uh, examine Peter's sermon, Peter's um, interpretation or explanation of this event. Rather like we saw in Acts chapter 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit and people being uh, able to speak in foreign languages and, and, and talking about the marvelous things that God has done. Um, the sign is amazing. The thing that happened is amazing, but, but it needed to be interpreted. And, and, and you'll remember in Acts chapter 2, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter got up and gave a sermon to explain the sign. Otherwise, the sign is, is pointing up into the air and no one knows where it's pointing to. It has to be explained, and the same sort of thing happens here. And, and not only does it have to be explained, it's an awesome opportunity to, to talk about Jesus and to um, uh, point to him. And the bottom line, I suppose, the big idea um, in, in Peter's sermon is it's not about us. It's about Jesus. That's, that's the bottom line here. It's not our power. It's not our piety, as the word says, or you know, it's not our good living, our righteousness, or our good behavior. It's not none of that. That's not what has healed this man. It is him. It is Jesus. And just to be explicit, um, Peter says, I, I, I don't want us to be famous for, for, for wonderful signs, for miraculous things. I don't want us to be famous for good works. I want us to be famous, or rather Jesus to be famous. I want you to look at us and see him. Um, it's all about him. It's, it's Jesus that should receive the praise and the adoration and the headlines, not us, not the church. And so even just to dive straight into that in terms of implications for us at Foundation Church, we usually leave that to the end, but right now it's just too good. It's the same for us. Um, we don't want to become ultimately famous for any good things we do, as wonderful as they may be. Good works, signs and wonders, miracles, whatever happens among us, we want them all to be signposts that point people to Jesus. That's why we say here at Foundation Church we are a gospel-centered group of people. We are focused in, centered around Jesus and the good news about Jesus. That's what we exist for. So let's ex uh, examine a little bit then Peter's sermon. I think these verses maybe um, are, are not on your sheet. So if you do have a Bible or if you have a device with you, just Google Acts 13, Acts 13, A-C-T-S 13, and um, you can follow along with us. Um, Acts chapter 13, in verse 13, um, he says, look, don't look at us as if the power has come from us or something special about us. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers. So, so Peter is, is explaining that, that it is the God of old, it is the God of the uh, old covenant. It is the God that, that we, uh, the Jews, have been worshiping, that we've had a special relationship with from the old days, from the ancient times, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and all the rest of them, this is the God who has done this today. It's the same God. It is your God, says Peter. It is our God. The ancient God of Israel is at work today. And, and, and Peter was keen to show that what was taking place outside the temple that day was nothing um, new. It wasn't a new religion. 
uh, so to speak. Um, it was it was nothing that was just dreamt up the day before. This was the this was the the God of Israel at work again today in your midst. The God who made the promise to bless Abraham and his descendants and all the nations through them. He is the one behind all of this. And so Peter goes on to explain God, this God, God of Israel, raised up his servant Jesus. That means he, he glorified him. He, he, he lifted him up to a place of prominence, the servant of God, um, this one who had this uh, special person who brought God's power to bear on his people. Uh, Peter says, this one, that is Jesus, God glorified, God made famous, but you denied him, he said to the crowd. You chose death rather than life. He says, you chose evil over goodness. He says in verse 14, this is so ironic, you killed the author of life. Irony of ironies. Yet God raised him up, and of this we are all witnesses. These are the things that, that he was saying on that day after the healing of this lame man. You see in verse 16, if you're able to access it, it says, and his name, we've been singing it just now, and his name, by faith in his name, that is Jesus, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health. It is in his name. It is in his name. It is in Jesus' name that this man has been made well. God the Father working through God the Son in performing this by God the Holy Spirit. We'll think of that in a minute. I used to think as a younger Christian, um, that the name of Jesus, isn't Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, uh, was in some way or other, when I heard this, some way or other, some sort of secret code, you know, um, or some sort of password that you just had to say, and uh, it unlocked some sort of thing or other, um, you know, that God would bless based on knowing the magic words in his name. Um, but I, I've since come to realize that, that that's not what is intended here. When By faith in his name, in his name, we're not talking about using the word as if it's some sort of code to get you some sort of blessing from God. When we say that, what we're saying is all that is summed up about the person's name, we are claiming it is, it is him that we are seeing at work here. So, for example, you and I might, in you know, common discussion, whatever, we might talk about someone has a good name. You know, what we're talking about is all that that person stands for is a, a good reputation. Or you might say, for example, someone's trying to make a name for themselves. It's not that they're going to give themselves a new name and change it on Depot. What they're trying to do is establish themselves with a great reputation in the eyes of, of others. And so when we say the name of Jesus, we're not just talking about the five letters. We're talking about all that he stands for, all that he is, Jesus himself, in other words. Just a shorthand way of saying it. Um, the whole passage, I'll just highlight a few things here. Um, in his sermon, Peter uses different names for Jesus. He's already called him Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You know, the humble servant, the, 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 the guy from a working class background who was a, a carpenter or a laborer or something like that. Um, him, servant of God, he's called in the sermon. He's called the Holy One. He's called the Righteous One. He's called the author of life. He's called the cornerstone later on in chapter 4. All of these things are... Uh, feed into this understanding of the name of Jesus. He's all of those things and more. And so when it's in his name and faith in his name is all that Jesus stands for. That's why Peter says, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is in that name, that name, all that it stands for, this person. And he says, in this name, 
this man, this lame man, was given perfect health. He was given perfect health. You see, there is power in that name. Not just a statement of belief. There is power in the name. And when we understand that, it builds our faith. When we use that name and when we sing that name and we talk about that name and we say we're gospel-centered, it builds our faith. It stirs us. Because if he can do that in those days, what would Jesus want to do among us today? Peter speaks out the word of God, the gospel of Jesus. He, he, he declares all this. But the gospel is not proclaimed. The good news about Jesus is not spoken out fully and finally, without a call to respond. Um, so, so we see, for example, in verse 19, he, he, he's talking, talked about this name that has healed this man, this person, Jesus, who has healed this man. And he says in verse 19, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus What's he saying? He's giving three benefits of turning to Jesus. First of all, he's saying when you turn to Jesus, when you acknowledge him to be the one who he says he is, that Peter preaches and that the church confesses, when you turn to him away from your sinful life and to Jesus, who is the sinless one, the only sinless one, three things are yours. He says, number one, your sins are blotted out. They are blotted out. I mean, this is pretty old school. We don't have this so much now. Kids don't know they're born, do they? Um, but, you know, in the old days, we would have written with a pen and paper, uh, and particularly with ink, you know, and you would have used, when you're writing with ink, um, and rather than just sort of shutting the book over or something like that, which would lead, lead to a mirror image of ink splurged on the other page, you would use blotting paper to sort of soak up any leftover stuff and to sort of remove, remove that. Um, and in, and in similar ways here, your sins are blotted out. They are uh, soaked up. They are removed. This is what happens when you turn to trust in Jesus. Your sins are removed. They're blotted out. You, the book of all your offenses and sins, the stuff that you were just confessing, um, hopefully earlier on in the sermon, just being honest before God, that stuff is wiped out. It is expunged from your record. It is as far as the east is from the west. That is gone through faith in Jesus. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. That's the first benefit of repenting and turning to Jesus. The second benefit, he says, the times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Not only are your sins gone from the book of your life, but there is time of refreshment, this deep fulfillment. The longings of your heart are quenched in Jesus. All that you live for is fulfilled in him. All that you hope for is given to you in him. Your wildest dreams come true in Jesus when you understand him. Times of refreshment in the hardships, in the dryness, in the difficulties of life, whatever they may be, are given to you. That deep fulfillment and quenching is yours. You will taste the kingdom that is coming. That's the second benefit. And the third benefit is this. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord and he may send the Christ appointed to you. The third blessing is that you will have this hope that you know this life is not all there is. There comes a future realm when Jesus shall return and all the sin 
and all the sorrow and all the brokenness and all the mess that you and I deal with in your body, in your family, in your community, whatever it might be, will be wiped away by Jesus. This perfect, beautiful, spotless, wonderful realm that he is setting up. That is yours one day through Christ. You have this great hope. This life is not all there is. We were thinking a few weeks ago um, that it was so characteristic of the early church and and one of the greatest reasons for this tremendous advance of the gospel uh, throughout the book of Acts in the first 30 years of the church's history came from this bedrock conviction that the gospel is true. I will give my life to Jesus because he is true. I will lay down my life for Jesus if necessary because it is true. That is the number one reason why it traveled so far, so quickly. This deep conviction that people said, I'm a witness to the good things that Jesus has done. I will go out and share that good news with others. For us here at Foundation Church, if we are going to see significant advancement of the gospel, we must share that same absolute conviction that the early church had. The gospel is true. That Jesus is alive. That's why we are gospel-centered. That's one of our sort of headlines. What sort of church is gospel-centered? That's why it's so important to us as a church. The question is that I'm giving to you this morning to mull over is are you convicted? Are you convinced? We, we as a church can go no further unless we are convinced that the gospel is true. Because otherwise we are just acting. We're just hypocrites. The good news of Jesus and, and Jesus himself must have centrality in our life together as a church. Must do. Otherwise we will not see the gospel advancing. Now listen, it's not that there is no room for questioning, by the way. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you can't have doubts, that you, 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 you can't think, that you have to just sort of park up. Not at all. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you have to possess all knowledge in order to be useful uh, to God. Not at all. But before uh, we can go anywhere as a church, before we can see the gospel advance, we must be convinced. Are you convinced? Do you need to think more deeply? Do you need to ask some important questions of one of the church leaders that can point you in the right direction? Do you need to delve in a little further? You must be convinced. Don't be nervous to ask, by the way. Um, we're having a church lunch afterwards, so it's not a great opportunity to, to speak to me or one of the other um, leaders of the church and, um, and ask, you know, and, and just even say, look, point me in the right direction. I want to learn more about this particular thing, or I need to know more about Jesus. What can I do? Um, I would be delighted to to point you in the right direction. Perhaps, though, you look at this question of of, of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and and perhaps for you, um, you're, you're, you're maybe the other way. You're overly familiar with it. This is something you've heard from the very earliest days of your life that you know the ins and outs of Jesus. You know, lived a good life. He died. He rose again. And for you, it just becomes. Um, yeah, 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 of course, of course, of course, I get all that. You know, you want more. Um, 
yes to, yes to the gospel, great, but there's, there's, there's something more, there's deeper, there's... there's It said, it said almost to the point of being cliched, but the gospel is not the A to B of your Christian life. It is the A to Z. The A to Z sounds better, I suppose, if you're an American. You know, it rhymes. It's the whole thing. You don't depart from the good news of Jesus. You don't move beyond it. You only go deeper into it, more, more enriched by it, more profoundly changed by it, but you never move on past it. If you do, then you'll start to veer off. This is one of the reasons why a great many churches either veer off into sort of super spiritual, you know, decoupled sort of behavior um, because they sort of wander. Jesus isn't enough, so they sort of wander away. Or churches become charities and they do many good works, but, but you can go along and, and there's nothing really of Jesus in that. There's nothing of the gospel in that. Because they're looking for things that excite them and interest them and, 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 and uh, you know, get their hearts beating faster. We cannot do that as a church. It is so alien to the early church. We go deeper into Christ. We see him as more wonderful, more glorious, more beautiful. Even when you read Peter's sermon, I do encourage you to read Acts chapter 3 when you, when you get home. Uh, another point during the week. You'll, you'll see that, that, that it's grand, it's, it's wide, it's deep, but it's, it is... It is, it is cosmic in its scope, and yet it is personal in its depth. It is deep, it is wide, it, infect, it affects the individual, it affects all of humanity. You've got to be convinced it is true. There's piles of resources, um, books we give away, we've got a discipleship project reading plan, you can jump on and just get into a sustainable daily Bible reading plan. Um, I'm working on a discipleship framework as well to bring in um, at some point uh, to, again, uh, give you uh, more avenues to grow and learn in your faith. And we can do that together as a church. And that's something that we're working on. And that, that should be um, exciting for, for us all going forward to be sure that you know the truth about Jesus. How the word of God builds the people of God. But secondly, we see how the spirit of God builds the people of God. Um, uh, I've sort of mentioned it a few times already, but you know, in Acts chapter two, it's kind of a famous section in Acts. Um, the Holy Spirit comes in power on the church, brings in, uh, ushers in the new age of God, the age of the Spirit. It's called the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we saw last week that on that first day when the Holy Spirit came, three thousand people were added to the community. Three thousand new people in the church. That is a that is a lot. And so this, what we're reading today, this in Acts chapter 3, is the first specific event that is recorded after that momentous occasion on the day of Pentecost. Um, and uh, I think Luke is just saying, this is, this is what it looks like. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming on the church. This is what happens um, to the God's people. Here's one example, uh, says, says, uh, says Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. So let's, let's look in detail then at, at this uh, healing um, it tells us here we've got this man who was lame, been lame all his life. He's in his 40s. Um, so he'd been lame from, from birth. Uh, and it says, as Peter and John go into the temple in verse 4, Peter directs his gaze at him, as does John, and says, look at us. Man looks at him expecting to get some money. In verse 6, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that was it. There was no prayer offered at that time that we can see. Um, there's no wishful thinking. There's no manifesting that people talk about, you know, just sort of believe it and it'll happen. 
It was simply a command in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Something that we get from reading this account that communicates this deep sense um, that this absolutely will happen when Peter and Paul say this. It's going to happen. And it says immediately in verse 7, his hands, sorry, his feet and his ankles were made strong and up he got. I suppose the question for us as we read this amazing account, really, is how did Peter and John know this was going to work? Was it just a random act? Had they been going around saying to all the people who were crippled and disabled and all that, you know, rise up and walk? No, didn't work. Rise up and walk? No, didn't work. Did they they just sort of keep going until one of them eventually did get up and walk? Is that how this happened? Well, it doesn't seem to be the case because the narrative shows us that Peter and John were actually going to the temple to pray. That was their intention. Um, it was actually the lame man himself who asked for, for money. He was the one who sort of, I suppose, set up the encounter, not Peter and John. Um, and yet it seemed to be that, that Peter and John, the apostles, had this sudden, undeniable sense that this man was going to be healed in front of everybody. It was going to happen publicly. It was going to happen immediately. It was going to happen dramatically. This was going to happen. What is this that we are looking at? What is this phenomenon that we can see here in Acts chapter 3? Yes, it's healing, but, but, but how do they know it's going to work out? We can go to the Apostle Paul for some, for some help. We can go to him for a lot of help, actually, as it, as it turns out. But in one of his letters to a church uh, later on uh, called Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, and 13, verse 2, he, the Apostle Paul mentions the gift of faith. The gift of faith. It is a specific gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. And it seems to be when you, when you read around a little bit and do a bit of digging, that the gift of faith is distinct from, from, from general faith, from, from saving faith, the sort of faith that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That, 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 with that, you are saved and uh, the, uh, the benefits of Jesus given to you. That's, that's, that's general, I suppose, saving faith. But Paul seems to reserve a specific gift of faith that is available to some of the same substance. You know, faith is faith. It's faith in Jesus. The same object, if you like, which is Jesus and not you. But it seems to be a special sort of intensified form, a heightened form of faith uh, for a specific circumstance. Um, and, and so it's, I, I suspect that's what's going on here. We, we don't know. I'm just sort of uh, using Scripture to interpret Scripture. That's one of the principles of reading the, the Bible, hopefully uh, in, a, in a healthy and, and right way. Um, but that, that seems to be what, what's, what's going on. Um, and so I believe that, that, that Peter and John here had the gift of faith, the absolute certainty as the, at that moment, as they looked at that man lying on the floor, um, that this man is going to be... S- going to be healed. They're so sure they make this bold declaration. And then it seems to be linked to, again, another gift of the Spirit, the gift of healing. Um, The gift of faith seems to be something that is occasional. It's not possessed by all people at all times. Um, But but sometimes God gives this sense that what, you know, is going to happen is absolutely going to happen. There's faith for it. Um, And then uh, he works in, in and through that. Uh, one pastor that I've read recently says that when the, when the tide of faith rises within the church, the other boats 
rise with it. Other giftings rise with it. That seems to be what's going on here. But that gift, as we can see here, is not an end in itself, because Peter then preached the good news to the crowd. And later on, as we see in in, in chapter 4, we're not looking at it today so much, he appeared before the council, the Jewish council. And it says that he again was filled with the Holy Spirit, had great boldness to produce and present the good news of Jesus to the Jewish to the Jewish high council. I hope that through this you can see how the, the Holy Spirit sets all this stuff up. Um, the Holy Spirit has granted this gift of faith. Uh, the Holy Spirit has, has, has given this gift of healing or has healed this man, uh, has given the ability to make this bold proclamation. The Holy Spirit's done that too. And the Holy Spirit has brought many to salvation in Jesus. Jesus, as you can hopefully see, is the hero of the story. It's his name that is lifted up through all of this. Something that Paul and John are desperate to point out. Not our own power, it's come from Jesus. So hopefully um, you can start to see um, how, how the word of God, the message, the message about Jesus and the spirit of God work together for the powerful advance of the gospel. Right? We, ca- we cannot separate them out. Uh, the word and the spirit, uh, the, the, the message of Jesus and the spirit from Jesus are, uh, work together uh, to advance the gospel. And so encouraging for all of us, um, I think, today as we look at this as a church. Because we're reminded, as we've been over the last few weeks, that Act, the book of Acts is a, is a, is a, is a narrative, it's a story, but it's a story for today. Not just a nice story of what happened in the early days that can warm our hearts, as good as that is. But Luke, who wrote this, wants us to connect the dots. Because don't forget, at the start of his, uh, the book of Acts, he, he writes to the original reader, and he says, um, I'm writing this so you may have confidence in the things that are taught. And I'm going to show you the gifts that are given to the church that point people to Jesus. I'm going to show you the message that was proclaimed that point people to Jesus and transform many thousands of lives. I'm going to show you what he can do and wants to do. And it's the same for us today. Yes, we're in different circumstances than they were back then. That was over 2,000 years ago. Different circumstances politically, of course, historically, socially. Things are very different culturally. But... It's the same God in the book of Acts as is with us today. It's the same message that we are given to proclaim today. It's the same Lord Jesus. It's the same name. It's the same Holy Spirit that we see doing these amazing things in the book of Acts. And there is no sign at the end of the book of Acts that these things have stopped working. In fact, there is this ongoing expectation, even in our text today, that times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. This ongoing ministry of God through the Holy Spirit to his people. So what do you say? As a church, particularly if you're, you call Foundation Church your home, what do you say? We listen to the words of God through this text. What do, what do you say we open our hearts and our minds to the promise of the Father as he is called? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you need to understand more about him and his ministry with your mind before you're willing to go any further. Maybe you need to read, and I can certainly give you plenty of books and resources and scriptures and all the rest of it that can help our understanding of the gift 
of the Holy Spirit in the local church. Maybe you generally agree uh, with the movement and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, but you haven't really opened yourself up to him. You haven't really said, yes, Lord, to all that he has for you. You haven't prayed to be renewed or refreshed in the spirit of late. Maybe you have in the past, but maybe that's something that you have stopped praying for. By the way, just in case you're wondering, Peter and all that were with him were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Then it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 3 and gave this amazing sermon. And then it says at the end of chapter 4, those in the prayer meeting were filled with the Holy Spirit. And on and on and on it goes. It seems to be that once the Holy Spirit uh, comes at the point of faith and belief, he is pleased in his goodness to visit again and refresh and to fill anew. So we can spend some time towards the end of this message asking again, refill me, fill me, renew me, Holy Spirit. So we talked about the word of God, the message of Jesus, how that sort of uh, builds the church, advances the gospel. We've seen how the spirit of God um, advances the gospel and how the two work together. Um, But the the word of God and the spirit of God build the people of God. Where do they come in? Um, Where where do the community uh, come from? Well, um, Peter has obviously said to this group of, of, of listeners on that day when this amazing miracle has taken place, Repent, that is, turn to Jesus, that your sins may be blotted out. And as we sit and listen to that message, and that's an offer for you today, by the way, it wasn't just related to the first listeners of that sermon, um, you might say to yourself, that's all well and good for good people who generally have lived a good life, Christian people who've lived a good life. That's fine for them. But you don't know what I've done. You might think that to yourself. You, you don't know what's happened to me. You, you don't know what baggage I carry with me, and I do my utmost to try and hide away so no one can see. How would God accept me if, if you knew what was going on? How would he forgive me? And the answer is actually quite simple. God forgives you from your sin and blots it out. Because Jesus stood in your place when he went to the cross. That's how he forgives your sin. Should have been you there. Should have been me there being cut off from God. But Jesus went to the cross in your place. That's how you can have confidence through faith in him. That your sins, no matter how bad you think they are, believe me, God has heard a lot worse. Your sins can be blotted out, no longer in the, in the book of your life. Gone. There's a song that we sing. has this line in it. My shame was deeper than the sea, but your grace is deeper still. That's for you. And when you understand that, and when you receive that, that builds the people of God. Amen. It creates a group of people who are like, me too. Jesus has done this for you. He's done it for me. Isn't that amazing? Can't we enjoy him together? Can't we worship him together? That's where community begins. Not only that, not only the turning so that we have our sins blotted out, no matter how big we think they are. We come together because 
we experience this refreshing, it says, from the presence of the Lord. Don't underestimate that part of the promise that is being held out to you this morning. Refreshment from the presence of the Lord. End of hostilities. End of tension between you and God. The beginnings of healings of tensions between you and other people. Time of refreshment will come to you. New life will be imparted to you. Grace will be experienced by you. Gifts shall be given to you. Signs and wonders shall be performed in your presence. You will hear of them. You will see them. You will see the kingdom come. This is not a personal, individualistic thing. This is something that we enjoy together. As I refer time and time again, the more coals you put on the fire, the hotter it gets. The more we come together to worship and enjoy Jesus and to enter into his presence in that special way, the more that we are refreshed and blessed and encouraged all through God's servant, the Holy One, the Righteous One, Jesus himself. And it says that when the Word of God and the Spirit of God go out, there's actually a verse here in Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Many of those who had heard the Word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. You need to add women and children as well who, who, who may have been listening to the gospel preaching of Peter on that day. There's another couple of thousand, we had 3,000 already, and there's another couple of thousand were added on that day. When the Word of God and the Spirit of God are unleashed, this is what you get. Many heard and believed, but not all. Um, we don't have enough time to really get into it this week. Um, but Peter and John end up getting arrested by the Jewish council um, because they were preaching the good news of Jesus. And, and, and that's not good news for everybody. They gave it both barrels of the gospel uh, and um, they got in trouble for it. And so they're hauled in front of the Jewish council and said, these people must be stopped. We're going to charge you strongly on pain of death not to speak or teach about the name of Jesus. There it is again. And they let them away with various threats. Many believed, you see. Some heard. And some didn't like. It's the first taste of opposition that the church gets. We'll see this more as things move forward. The gospel is good news for everybody, but not everybody wants to hear it. Because there is a cost. Of course there is. But here's the teaching that comes from this. We cannot control or predict who will respond to the gospel um, and who will suppress faith, who will try and push it away, like the high council. It's God's call. It's not our call. So we don't get to predict who is going to receive the gospel and who's not. We don't get to withhold uh, our gospel proclamation based on prejudices or preferences or I don't want to share the gospel with them or people like them or someone from that family or someone from that area. That's not our call. We are liberal with the gospel. We pray for fruit. We anticipate growth. We lean into the things of the Spirit. We fasten ourselves onto the gospel of Jesus Christ. We go out with his marching orders in our mind and his smile upon our heads. And we pray thy kingdom come. With the fruit, the change, the transformation, that is all on him. That's his choice. It's coming to land. How do we get this? I think you know already. 
verse 13 of that same chapter. This is, this is the Jewish council. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. If you want to make a difference in the world, will people recognize that you have been with Jesus? Seems to be the key thing here. Not their education, not their jobs, not their backgrounds. Have you been with Jesus? His presence is life and joy poured out to you. Through the Spirit, we come to Jesus, and by Jesus, we come to the Father. Do you realize what you have? Do you know what is available to you only if you ask? Do you know who you are when you come to God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit? That's how it creates the people of God. Let me close with this. Imagine if the book of Acts was not just a history book, but rather the first few chapters in the script of this great drama that is yet to be finished. What if God were saying to us today through Foundation Church, through this text, this is how it all began. Now I want you to take up your place in history, in my history. I want you to carry these things further forward. I want you to pass them on to the next generation. I want you to advance my gospel. Imagine what we can be a part of if we say yes to Jesus, all for the glory of God. It is yours through him, through faith in him. Let's stand, let's pray.